Amen. The ancient words that are ever true that we find in God's Word. We're going to dive into a, a great text today in the New Testament, the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit really is what that book really should be titled. We're going to wrap up our series this, this morning on evangelism, and I hope that over this past month that you've come to see the joy that Bobby just talked about in her prayer, the joy that comes not only through Jesus Christ in our life, but the desire and, and the gift that we have to make others glad in God as well as we share the joy of Christ with others. We have good news. We have the best news in the world. Evangel means good news, and we have the chance to share that good news with others and to make them as joyful as we are in Christ. So as we wrap this up, I hope that you're seeing evangelism as a privilege instead of a burden. And we're going to look at this passage from Acts chapter 2 that, to give us some insight into how we should share the, the good news with others around us. And what happens here in Acts 2 is a, a major event in God's plan to redeem this fallen creation back to himself. It's one of those pivotal moments in the story of everything ever where the whole world is changed forever by a mighty act of God. Some of you who come from a more liturgical background, I've met several folks in our congregation where we received some in the membership who were raised in an Episcopalian church or a Lutheran church or Anglican or, or even a high church Methodist or, or, or Presbyterian church. And you may have realized that last week we should have had a big red cloth on the cross because last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday in the life of the church around the world. Liturgical churches observed this passage in Acts chapter 2 as they celebrate the events of what happens in Acts 2. In this chapter, the promises of Jesus come true. Even though Jesus has ascended and is no longer physically, bodily with us, he sends something that he says is even better for us than himself in the flesh. I can't imagine that being true, but look at John chapter 16. Verses 5 through 8, it'll be on the screens. Jesus is talking with his disciples here in the upper room on, on the night that he would be betrayed and arrested, that we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper here in a minute and remember that. But he said to them, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the hel helper, <coughs> excuse me, helper with a capital H, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, of course. God in the Spirit form. We refer to him as the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. It's God showing up in, in spirit form, unleashed on the world. And, and the Holy Spirit coming is no less real, no less an actual event where God entered the world than it was when Jesus was born in Bethlehem in a stable and laid in a manger. Pentecost Sunday is kind of like Christmas for the Holy Spirit. We celebrate the arrival of God the Spirit on Pentecost Sunday. So Acts 2 tells this story and starts out by saying that 
the Jewish people from all over the, the, the civilized world at that time had descended upon Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. Fifty days after the Passover meal, Pentecost means 50th. It's the Feast of Shavuot in Hebrew, the Festival of Weeks. So thousands of Jewish people from all four corners of the globe have gathered in Jerusalem for this special feast. And look at verse 2 in Acts 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were all sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This isn't talking about all the people who were gathered here. It's talking about that little group of Christians, about 120 of them, that were gathered in one house. And the Holy Spirit descends on this new group, this new little band of Jesus followers. It happened, just like the prophets and Jesus himself foretold that it would happen. God the Spirit descends on God's people, this little house church that's meeting for the feast of Shavuot. And it's this miraculous display of of God's power. All the other Jewish people who are around this band of Christians, they hear the Christians telling of God's greatness. And each person who hears them talking about the mighty acts of God hears them speaking in their native tongue. There's many, many different nations, many different languages represented there, and each one hears them speaking in their heart language. How is this possible? Well, it's the Holy Spirit. It's an incredible event. But of course, there are skeptics. Whenever God does something amazing, there's always those who try to dismiss it and explain it away. Look at verse 12. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they're filled with new wine. (laughs) That's when Peter, the apostle to whom Jesus said, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Peter, the, the one to whom Jesus said, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, the one who denied Christ three times, even though he told him he would die before he ever left his side. Peter, at this point, steps up and he takes his place as the leader of the first church ever. It's not First Baptist Church or First Presbyterian Church. This is first church, period. And he gives his first sermon at first church here at Pentecost, and it is a doozy. So let's stand as we read God's Word together. Acts chapter 2, I'll read starting in verse 14. The story of Pentecost. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, 
And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Woman prophets, a very biblical thing. Verse 19, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. That day is not yet upon us, but the prophet Joel is speaking of the last days which were ushered in with the arrival of the Holy Spirit. In verse 21, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That sounds like an evangelistic verse to me. Skip down to verse 29. Brothers and sisters, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. His tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and, Peter, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his words were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, which we're going to do in a minute, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. It's a long passage, I know. I hope you're not tired from standing that long, but it's a powerful passage. 
And I see really seven key points in classic Baptist preacher form. They each start with the letter C. You don't have to memorize them. My my seminary professor said, preach one-point sermons. No one's ever going to remember all seven of these. But if you're the note-taking type and you like to do that, you can get out your notes here and, and follow along with us. First, I see that we need to remember that conviction is the Holy Spirit's job, not ours. Look at John 16, 8 again. Jesus told his disciples, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Trey and I talk about these manipulative youth speakers that we've heard who can get all of us to rededicate our lives and all of us will repent and and, and try to be saved because they scare us so much and they can try to aim for conviction But conviction isn't our job. It's the Holy Spirit's job. Only the Holy Spirit can truly convict someone's soul concerning their lack of righteousness and the divine judgment. Our job is to be faithful, to work in the harvest field. But the Lord of the harvest is God himself, and God ensures the results of the harvest. We sow the seeds, and he makes the fruit. In Acts 2, Verse 39, we just heard Peter tell the crowd of Jewish people, the promise of the gospel, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. God is working in ways that we can't even see, calling people to himself. The hound of heaven is after those whom the Lord is calling to himself. Our job is to be ready when the opportunity comes to help others cross that bridge from death to life, from unbelief to belief. Second thing I see in this text is while God is calling certain people to himself and is pursuing them with the hound of heaven, it's also clear that the gospel is available to all people. In verse 21, Peter quotes the the prophet Joel from the Old Testament saying, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a a theme that, that the Apostle Paul picks up on in Romans as well. And what is the name of the Lord? The Lord is the Savior. The Lord is the Messiah. The Lord is Jesus Christ. Romans 10 verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One of those great VBS verses that I learned as a kid. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. That's why Christianity is the most inclusive of all the exclusive religions. All all religions are exclusive, but ours is the most inclusive. There are no distinctions. Jesus is Lord of all. And then verse 13, he quotes Joel again, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We mentioned last week how we need to, to look at people not as the world sees them with an outwardly appearance but to see them for who they could become in Christ, a new creation. 
that all people, everyone that we encounter, everyone that we see, everyone that we lock eyes with matters to God and is a precious, beloved creature of God and has the potential to be born again, to be recreated, to be redeemed, to be renewed in Christ's image through faith in Christ. Third thing I see here, Peter appeals to the people's reason and their experience what they can see and what they can hear. Look at verse 33 again. He says, since Christ is therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he's poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. He explains to them the phenomena with which they are observing currently. This goes back to what we said last week about persuading other people. Paul said that it's our job to persuade people, to help people think, to use the, the logic, the reason that God has given them to, to figure out what is true and good, to interpret what they're seeing and hearing in this world around them and what they've experienced in their lives. John Wesley said experience was one of the four means of revelation that we understand God through. If people will think and if they will reason correctly and honestly and really dig deep into the truth, then they will know the truth and the truth will set them free. And the truth is Jesus Christ, the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And the truth, the gospel truth, is that they are more broken and more flawed than they ever dared to imagine they were. But at the same time, they are also more loved and more accepted in the grace of Jesus Christ than they ever dreamed they could be. Fourth thing I see, Peter meets this crowd where they are. He refers to their sacred texts, to their scriptures. He, he comes to where they are using the Hebrew text that they're familiar with. He, he refers to Joel chapter 2, 2 Samuel 7, Psalm 16, and Psalm 110 all in his first sermon to explain the gospel of Jesus in, in language that they could understand, in, in terms that they would know. This crowd, like I said, would have known these passages. They were faithful and devout Jews. But now Peter connects the dots for them. It all starts to make sense. And again, he's reasoning with them, but he's using their scriptures, their culture, their context. Sometimes we have to use what people know when we talk about the gospel with people, don't we? If I'm discussing the good news of Jesus with someone who's an engineer, I'm going to use more technical type language. I'm going to appeal to the left side of their brain. I'm going to use reason and logic and those kinds of things. But if I'm discussing the gospel with a, a student maybe who's real art artistic and, and loves to do theater or something. I'm going to appeal to more uh, about the freedom of Christ and the beauty of the gospel, right? You meet people where they are and you use what's familiar in their culture and their context. Fifth thing I see, Peter's not afraid to call out people's lostness, to call out their sin and their separation from God. He's not worried about stepping on toes. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, the Mashiach, the Messiah. It was Jesus whom you 
crucified. Ouch, that is hard to hear. He's basically telling these Jewish people, you completely missed the boat. The Messiah that you've been praying for, that you've been longing for, is the same guy that you wanted killed. The same guy that you had executed like a common criminal between two thieves. And the people are devastated. They're broken when they hear this. They're cut to the heart, it says. They fell under conviction and with the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we, we don't want to offend people. We want people to come to church and put on a smile and enjoy it and go home feeling good about themselves. We don't want to offend people, but, but Peter just goes for it here. We talked about on Tuesday morning, John chapter 4, the woman at the well in our study on evangelism. He, he calls out her brokenness and says, lady, you've, you've been living with a guy who's not your husband and, and you've, you've had several husbands before. You're someone who's deeply flawed and need to understand your brokenness. And, and people, a lot of times, someone asked on our sermon listening team, what do you do with people who don't feel they need to be reconciled to God? Well, they don't understand how deeply flawed they are. And maybe they do, but they just don't want to admit it. I think we all have a tendency to lie to ourselves, right? And say, I'm okay, you're okay like the book that came out in the 80s. I'm okay, you're okay. The kids are all right. No, they're not. Not if they're like my kids. <laughs> they need Jesus <laughs> every day. And so do we. The Bible says that we're all in the same sinking boat of sin. The Bible says that we've all been given the same terminal diagnosis of sin. The Bible says that we all need a miracle. And that's where the good news of Jesus comes in. Sixth thing that I see here, it's not enough to just feel conviction. Action is required. Look at verse 38. <clears throat> Excuse me. When the people are cut to the heart and they ask in desperation, brothers, what, what do we do with this? What, what should we do? Peter tells them, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent. Stop going your own selfish way and turn from your own ways to the Lord and return to the Lord with all your heart and with brokenness and believe that Jesus Christ can do what he says he can do, that he can raise you up in a whole new life with him, but first you have to die to yourself before you can be raised to new life. That's what baptism represents. It's not enough to just believe this in your heart. A response of trust, of abandonment, of laying down your own life has to be taken, that step of faith. Have you heard the story about the, the guy who, who walked the tightrope across Niagara Falls? My wife said, that's impossible. Nobody could do that. I, I showed her on YouTube, but someone did it. It's true. So there's this guy walking back and forth across a tightrope and people, thousands of people are cheering him on on both sides of, of the falls. They're, they're screaming and yelling and he takes a wheelbarrow then and, and then he pushes the wheelbarrow across and he's fine, he goes back with a wheelbarrow. Then he takes a 200 pound sack of dirt and he puts the 200 pound sack in the wheelbarrow and he rolls it across, everybody's going nuts, no problem, he doesn't even sway at all. 
And he says, who thinks I can push a person across? And everybody says, yeah, you can do it, totally, you got this. He says, great, now do I have a volunteer? <laughs> silence, complete silence. They believe that he's able to do it, but they're not willing to take that step of faith and get in the wheelbarrow and say, I'm trusting in your ability to do what I cannot do. That's what faith in Christ takes, placing our trust in something that we cannot do ourselves and saying to Jesus, I'm, I'm in your wheelbarrow, you're in charge, not me. Finally, the seventh thing that I see here is what a church can be and what a church should be. There's that should word that I promised not to use, I'm using it here. After this little church goes from 120 people to 3,000 overnight, verse 46 says, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. This sounds like the joy that Bobby was talking about, doesn't it? Glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Nobody's going to complain about a bunch of happy people doing life together. Everyone likes this. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In these verses and the ones right before them, there's a strong sense of justice for the poor, right? Of unity among God's people, of worship, praising God, of gratitude, of generosity. We see all these, these different uh, you know, attributes of the church on full display here. When the church does what the church is supposed to do, it then possesses that missional magnetism that draws others, not to us, but to our Lord Jesus Christ. They want to, what we have. They want to be a part of what God is doing because they see all these uh, attributes on display. All right, I've said all throughout this series that I believe that God is calling Woodmont and me personally to cultivate a culture of evangelism here at our church. And I'm learning a lot, and I'm convicted, and I'm growing in, in what I consider evangelism to be, and I hope that you are too. But it takes a personal commitment from all of us to make that happen. If we're going to see the Lord adding to our number those who are being saved and those waters of baptism being stirred, it's going to take each one of us committing to do the work of an evangelist. Paul tells Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. That takes a willingness on our part, each and every one of us, to do the work that's before us. Last weekend, Morgan and I went to East Tennessee with our kids to go to her parents' house with our, our two-year-old has birthday party with her family. And we, we tried to get back in time for Eddie Fest, but we missed it and uh, hated to, to miss that. But we got home about four o'clock and there was a two, two and a half cubic yards. Do you know how much a cubic yard of mulch is? It's enormous. Literally, a truckload of mulch that had been delivered while we were gone in our front yard. And I was all about, let's do it tomorrow, and Morgan said, let's do the work. Let's do the work. Kids, grab a shovel. <laughs> we're, we're knocking this out right now. We'd had a long trip, you know how it is with kids, and we got out of the car, and I said, okay, let's do this. And we got the shovels, and for the next three hours, we spread two and a half cubic yards of pine nuggets around our house 
and it looked great. It wasn't enough even, but it, it looked great. Do the work, she said. Let's just do the work that's before us. Today, I think some of you may need to grab a shovel. I think it may be time to, to earnestly do the work. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The fields are sitting ready for laborers to go and do the work. Will you answer the call? Instead of our regular invitation time today, we're going to do something before we get to communion. I'm going to ask you to look in your pew rack, and, and behind the connection card in your pew rack, there's a prayer card. There's, I think, 500 of them were printed, so six to a sheet. It's not very wasteful. Don't worry. It's like 90 sheets of paper. Uh, so if you'll pull that out now, I want to ask each of you to consider names of real people that God has put in your circle of influence, that God has put in your life, who need to know the truth, the joy, the love of Jesus Christ. Where is your fishing hole, right? Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. Where is it that you encounter non-believers? Some of you won't honestly be able to think of anyone that you think may be lost or may be searching. And of course, that's only something that the Lord can know. It's between them and the Lord. But there are people I, I'm thinking that you may know who need to know the truth of Jesus Christ, who need to know the joy that Bobby prayed about of Jesus Christ. And you can be a part of that. You can be a laborer, and there is work to do. So will you consider now, just prayerfully, writing down the names? It's not, there's something just between you and God. You're going to take it home. You're not turning this into anybody. This is just a tool for you. And to pray, to commit to pray for these people daily, that the Lord would unveil their eyes to the truth, that the Lord would use you and others to, to be a connection between that bridge from death to life that the Lord would use you to speak the truth of the gospel into their hearts. Will you consider writing down names of people right now? We're just going to have a time of, Nate's going to play softly, and I want us to pray right now. I have my list. I've asked the staff to do this as well. We do this on Tuesdays. We're praying for people in our lives that we are ministering to. Maybe it's your hairdresser that you've been going to for years, but you've never considered sharing the gospel with her or him. Maybe it's that server that you've gotten to know at Green Hills Grill after years of going there and you're ready to share the gospel with him. Maybe it's the guy that works on your car. I don't know who it is. But if you think about who God has put in your life, I bet you there are people that he has sent into your harvest field as work for you to, to get to work on. Not as a project. I'm not saying that you should view these people as prizes to be won. But in love and in genuine friendship, that we can offer good news and hope to those who need it the most. So let's just spend a minute or two just praying now for these people on your list. Consider who the Lord brings to your heart, brings to your mind, and then we're going to move into a time of communion. Let's just spend some time praying now. Let's pray together. Lord God, I know there are people in our midst here today who need to surrender 
to you and to get into the wheelbarrow to trust that you can do what they cannot do. None of us can save ourselves, God. Only you can do that. By your grace, through faith, in our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the, the promise that all who call upon the name of Jesus will be saved, regardless of where they're coming from, regardless of how many sins they've committed, regardless of, of how broken and how flawed they are, God. The chief of sinners, Paul called himself, became the greatest evangelist of all time. God, we thank you for the redemptive work that you do, that you bring us from death to life, that you have redeemed those of us who are believers now, that you have made us whole, that you have restored us to yourself and made us one with Jesus Christ, becoming co-heirs of the promise. God, I know that there are those in this church who are here now who have been praying for their children who have walked away from the faith, for their family members who have refused to believe in Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would help us not give up or lose hope, but to trust that you are moving through you, your Holy Spirit that you have sent to convict the world. We pray that your Spirit would move in power, that we would see the waters of baptism stirred in this church as we see lives that are reborn into a whole new life. And use us, oh God. Forgive us for complacency. Forgive us for yawning while our neighbors go to hell. Forgive us, oh God, for not seeking out opportunities and for not being willing to risk social awkwardness for the sake of sharing the good news, the best news. Oh God, we love you. We need you. We pray this in the high and the holy name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We're going to observe the gospel truth in bodily form today through the Lord's Supper, through the body and the blood, through the bread and the cup. We're going to remember Christ's sacrifice. Today is Memorial Day weekend. We do remember those who have fallen, those who have given their lives and sacrificed for our country. We're so grateful. When I was a kid, I had a season pass. My family had season passes to Opryland. Anybody have season pass to Opryland? And I think it was the Way Out West show, they called it. And at the end of that show, the highlight of that show every time was some guy would come out and sing Ray Stevens' Uh, what's it, uh, God Bless the USA. You know that song? I proudly stand up next to you and defend, and everybody stood up and, you know, I, I got all weepy and my parents would cry. My mom always cried at that song. And there's that line in that song that says that I'll, I won't forget the man who died and gave that right to me to proudly defend America still today. And as a kid who was raised in church, I thought that was Jesus. I thought it was talking about Jesus, the man who died and gave us the right to do whatever the song was saying. I was like, it's Jesus, the song's about Jesus. And it was years later, I think I was well past college when I heard that song again and realized, oh, it's talking about those who've died for our, our freedoms and, and our country, I see. And today, this, this table says Jesus' word to do this in remembrance of me. How appropriate for Memorial Day, when we planned this, we said that's Memorial Day weekend, perfect. To remember the man who died for our sins of the world, the man who took our place on the cross, the man who has given us not only the right to, to live in a country that's free, but to be free from the eternal bondage of sin and shame and suffering. It's an entirely appropriate 
occasion to remember Christ's sacrifice. There's a past element to it. The choir's gonna sing an anthem, and the, the Bible tells us that when we take communion, that we should let a person examine himself then, and then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So as the choir sings, I just encourage you to examine yourself. Where have you fallen short? Where is the Lord need to come and correct your heart? Pray to the Lord, search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and then lead me in the path everlasting. Just whatever you need to do in your heart right now, this is a time to examine yourself.